It is uh, some six years now since the death of my mother, but boy, can I still hear her voice. <laughs> and I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, childhood of growing up under her guidance, under her command. All five feet one of her, and for much of her life barely weighing a hundred pounds, my mother was a commanding woman. <laughs> she had a strong, powerful, authoritative voice, and there was no doubt in my mind, my mom knew how to control, and that's probably the best word, five children in the household filled with them. My mom knew what it was to be in charge. And when she spoke, you listened, and better yet, you better obey. Now I say that not just to give you a little bit of a glimpse into the world and the life from which I have come, but it does connect us to our gospel reading today in the Gospel of Mark, where we have this reading where Jesus' family and his mother come to him with this similar authority. Again, our reading goes like this. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. Jesus loved his mother. Over and over again, we see him you know, revealing this truth, this reality. We see him honoring her as we are commanded to in the commandments to honor your father and mother. We see this. We see Jesus you know, revealing to us the value of family. We see him teaching us further that family is the foundation of our society and, yes, even of God's plan. Whether the world in which you and I live in, by the way, thinks so or not, it is. But here, Jesus is going about the mission that he came for. He's going from town to town. At times, often, that means from house to house. He is tending to those with various needs. He's going to the sick, to the hurting. He's healing, he's comforting, and he's changing lives. But what he's doing doesn't align with what others think that Jesus ought to be doing. For instance, the Jewish leaders. They see him as this free-spirited one who is, you know, doing things his way, who is disregarding the rules or the ways that things have been established. He's interfering with their livelihoods, with the structure and the things that they think are so important to them. They're not very pleased because he's not aligning to what they have in their agenda. And then his disciples, well, they see him forgetting about his own needs and, yes, theirs. And they don't get how all this fits into him becoming the king to overthrow the Jews. And then his own family. 
They don't get it either. They don't get what he is doing. So here they come to, as the text says, take charge of him. But no. You see, Jesus' ways are not what most of the people expected. His ways are not focused upon our agenda, our priorities. This reading, therefore, begs the question of us, who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? So my question is, is how's that working out in your lives? How often is your life and therefore your relationship with the Lord look like that of Jesus' family? Are you trying to take charge of him? Are you trying to control the things in your life rather than submit to him? We have recorded these words from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I once read that submission to God is a discipline of abstinence because it's about denying ourselves the power and the privilege that we want. That is a very rich quote, and one that even when I went back to it in some of my notes, I had to read over it several times, but boy, does it echo true. Listen again. Now I've got to find my spot. (laughs) Submission to God is a discipline of abstinence because it's about denying ourselves the power or the privilege we want. You see, my friends, when we live in submission to God, we are choosing not to make things happen for ourselves, not to control people or situations, even if we can, but to instead come under the Lord's authority, under his wisdom, and under his power and rule. And you know, even this often includes submitting to others as to the Lord. It makes sense that Peter would exhort young leaders and all of us about submission to God. Why? Because he learned the importance of this lesson the hard way. He learned it through pain and failure. In his early years of following Christ, Peter had the habit of putting his foot in his mouth or at times putting it on top of others in, on the way to trying to get what he wanted. A few of the examples that remind us of Peter living in such a way, how about there on the Mount of Transfiguration? There the Lord is revealed in all of his glory, and there with him is Moses and Elijah, and Peter says, Lord, it's good to be here. Let's build three tents, and let's just stay right here. No, Peter, we've got to get down and get to business. Or how about when he and the disciples once were walking along the road, and Jesus is preparing them for what is to come, and he tells them you know, that he must go to Jerusalem there, he must suffer and die, and Peter says, Never, Lord. 
You see, Peter had his agenda. Peter had in mind what he wanted, even in regards to the Lord's Messiahship. Peter wanted control. He wanted to be in charge. It took Peter a few years to grow in grace to the point that he could deny himself the self-assertion that seemingly had made him a successful fisherman and instead choosing to come under the leadership of others, particularly his Lord Peter learned well Jesus' humble way of the cross. He learned to step down into greatness. We see his humble love for the Lord lived out in Acts as he submits to James and Paul and to others, even to other authorities. And tradition tells us that he was crucified as a martyr, but insisting that he be crucified upside down because he didn't deserve to die in the same way that Jesus did. You and I were not surprised that Peter needed to practice submitting himself to God because we see ourselves in him. We see how we also wrestle with letting go and trusting the Lord, allowing Him to truly be in charge of every aspect of our lives. It's quite easy for us to recognize what Peter did. But what surprises us is that the one that we are called to submit to, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, also lived in submission Jesus doesn't try to make things happen on his own, but he listens to the Father. He keeps relinquishing the situations that he is in to God. No doubt this is how he lived his life. Probably even as a young man in the village of Nazareth and how he did business as a carpenter. And we know from the Gospels that submission was indeed Jesus' way of life and ministry one of submission. But more shocking still is to see the Son of God even submit himself to people and circumstances as to his Father in heaven. He submitted to people as diverse as John the Baptist. You know, strange guy that he was, but he submitted unto him. And how about Pontius Pilate? He submitted to him when the people brought him to him to be crucified, and he went along with it to satisfy the crowds. Jesus could have written his own mission statement, but he didn't. He accepted the one that was given to him one day when he was there at the synagogue, and there when he read from the book of Isaiah, that was his mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus submitted Himself to the Father's will, spending extended hours in prayer, listening Not demanding what he wanted, not laying out a litany of what he wanted, but to listen and to submit unto his Father. Time and time again, we see Jesus rolling with the circumstances, letting situations play out as he submits himself to the Father and listens. 
Storms at sea, needy people interrupting him, disciples leaving him, abandoning him, Judas betraying him. And all of this he did in order to fulfill the Scripture. Years ago I read a phrase from a writer and professor, Dallas Willard, that makes submission to God a more concrete daily reality, one that's worth remembering. Abandon outcomes to God. Abandon outcomes to God. And you know how those four words resonate in my mind? So often, before we speak, we already know where we're trying to lead a situation or a relationship or a decision. Rather than abandon them, relinquish them, trust them to God himself. Abandon outcomes to God. To submit to God in any given situation is to refuse to try to get anyone to do anything or to make things turn out a certain way, but instead to simply be responsible, which basically means to love God and love our neighbor. Trust God enough to do what is best. Who's in charge here? This question not only spoke to the people 2,000 years ago, but it still speaks to us today. Who's really in charge of your life? What areas are you having trouble letting go of and trusting the Lord to be in charge? Maybe this is where we need to remind ourselves of the Lord's words in Romans 8 that all things work for the good of those who trust in the Lord. Not who control the Lord, not who tell the Lord what they want, but who trust the Lord. Finally, I point you to our reading from Corinthians. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Our challenge, my friends, is to look beyond this world and to look to what is eternal. So again, who's really in charge of your life? As you squirm a little bit in your seat this morning, and I think probably all of us should be because we know, you know, there are areas we say, yeah, I, I'm a follower. Uh, I, I'm, I believe in he's my Lord. But we know there are areas of our lives we have not let go of. There are areas we basically, if we were asked outright, we'd say, you know, we're not crossing that line. That's my area. And it may seem like, you know, kind of a, a benign type thing, a thing that doesn't really matter. But the fact is, either he's Lord of our lives completely, or maybe he's not. So as you squirm in your seat this morning, knowing that you struggle like me to let God be God, to allow him to be fully in charge of your life, then hear again these words from our Lord in our reading from Corinthians. 
it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Here again this line. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. It's good that he's in charge. It's good because he cares for us. He wants what's best for us. We can trust him and we can therefore submit to him. Yes, my friends, he is in charge. He's in charge, and he forgives, and he loves us now and for eternity. Amen.